that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this, what day is it? Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I'm excited to do this show today. We have had some big news in the sporting world that came out today, which is Thursday. It is 10-13 on January 28th, Thursday, January 28th. It is in the p.m. This is going to get released 24, or 24, 12 hours from now, a little bit over 12 hours from now. I post it, schedule it to get posted at 10. Obviously, Apple Podcasts takes forever to upload it, so it'll probably be up on Twitter around 11. And we also got another paper coming out tomorrow. This one is not a football paper. I guess I should say an NFL paper? Because it is technically, if you want to be technical about it, it is a football paper because of the fact that it is soccer. And depending on where you're from in the world, you call it football or you call it soccer here in the States. We call it soccer, but there is the few people out there call it soccer, and sometimes it can get weird. Sometimes, like football team, football club, football player, a footballer, as they call them over in England, footballer Wayne Rooney's a legendary footballer. You get that every once in a while. You don't get that as much here. It's soccer player, right? Not soccerer. Is that a phrase? Did we just come up with a phrase of soccerer? Like a footballer, soccerer. Soccer-er. Yeah, that one. The second one. Soccer-er. Just two ERs at the end of that. I guess soccer doesn't have one ER in the end of it. But whatever. That's beside the point. We got some soccer to talk about. And I know I bring this up quite a bit when we talk about the MLS. Because it's just something funny to talk about. It is the fact that, speaking of the whole football versus soccer, it's called soccer. No, it's called football debate that rages on Twitter that goes through the MLS's Twitter account. I don't know who runs that Twitter account. Because it's not Mr. MLS. At least I don't think it is. It could be. It could very well be. But whoever starts those debates on it, whether it's football or soccer, uh, needs to stop that. This is one of those situations where uh, it's time to stop, as H3H3 says. Or when you see Filthy Frank pointing to the clock. It's time, it's, you gotta stop this. You gotta stop this. Because the MLS is on the side of, obviously it's Major League Soccer, we're gonna be on, it's called soccer, not football. You can say that as much as you want, but your league, though called Major League Soccer, you have teams in this league that are not playing blank soccer club. Like, you do obviously have the few, like, Orlando City SC, okay? There's a fine example of that. Soccer club. You don't have, you, if you're a a firmly placed that, we call it soccer here in the States, you wouldn't have at least half of the league having FC in it. Like, you go across the different teams in in the MLS. Atlanta United, FC. Austin, FC. Chicago Fire, FC. FC, Cincinnati. FC Dallas. Uh, what else do we got on here? LAFC for Los Angeles Football Club. CF Inter Miami or Inter Miami CF. Same thing. Going with the Spanish roots there. With the CF at the end of it. Club football. Like you see at Real Madrid. Real Madrid CF. Then Minnesota United. FC. Uh, Nashville. They're an SC club. NYC FC. New York City Football Club. And then what other ones? There's Seattle Sounders. Seattle, yeah, Seattle Sounders, 
FC. Uh, St. Louis City, that's a new team. I don't like how they added the city part at the end of that, but that's whatever. And then the new teams, they're going to start coming in. Austin just released their jerseys yesterday, I believe. So Wednesday, I believe it was Wednesday. It could have been today. I just don't I remember looking at it. It's a white jersey, and it looks pretty cool. I'll give them credit. It looks pretty cool. Uh, Austin's one of the fastest-growing cities in the United States, so I'm not surprised that they get an American pro sports team there eventually, and that's what they got with Austin FC. Charlotte FC, they're coming into the fray, I think, next year. St. Louis SC, St. Louis City. See, City just sounds weird with St. Louis. I know there's Manchester City, Leicester City over in England, but it just sounds weird for a United States team. I don't know why. I really don't know why. You don't really see it. Like, Kansas City, that's the name of the city. Like, Sporting Kansas City. That's the name of the town. If it's not, if you don't have city in it, it to me, I don't know. It, it's weird because then you got the things over in Europe with, as I said, Leicester City, Manchester City. There's teams with city in the names. It's kind of a similar thing to state in the college, like Iowa State University or... uh Georgia State University. I don't know why that was the first tone that popped up for the next team with State in it. But I don't know. I know it's a state university, so that makes sense. But FC just sounds, or City just sounds weird after. Am I weird about that? Does that sound weird to anybody else? Or is it just me? I'm pretty confident it's just me. But the football club thing that rages on Twitter between the MLS's official Twitter account and random people is stupid because of the fact that as I already said, about half, if not over half of the league, has FC in their title. Now, we're not just going to be talking about the MLS. We are going to be talking about some players in the MLS because we are going to be talking about the 2022 World Cup. I know the 2026 World Cup like host cities, possible host cities, have been revealed because obviously the 2026 World Cup will be in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And there was 26 locations, I believe, that have been released. Now, I could just be thinking of 2026 was the World Cup is. So there's 26. Okay, I could be wrong about that. But here are some of the locations. The United States, we have Atlanta, Baltimore, Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, Nashville, New York or New Jersey, Orlando, Philadelphia, San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, and Washington. Wait. Seattle, I'm assuming Washington's Washington, D.C., right? <laughs> I said that. That sounds weird, right? Saying Seattle and then Washington. I mean, that's how the city is, but that has to be the nation's capital, right? Why don't you put just D.C. at the end of that? I don't know. It's bleacher poor. They have some questionable things from time to time. Then Mexico is Guadalajara, Mexico City, and Monterey. And then Canada, we have Edmonton, Montreal, and Toronto. So one thing I can guarantee... Actually, I'm kind of surprised Vancouver isn't mentioned in the possible host cities in Canada. They had the BC place. That was the final for the Women's World Cup, I believe. And uh, when was that, 2015? I think it was the 2015 World Cup final, United States versus Japan. Carly Lloyd went absolutely berserk in that tournament. I'm kind of surprised Vancouver's not a host or a possible host. Not surprised about Toronto. They're the biggest city in Canada as far as I know. I'm not surprised by that at all. And Montreal's probably got the biggest soccer fandom in the country of Canada, at least to my knowledge. I know Toronto's got a decent following. Vancouver 
has got a decent following in the biggest soccer-specific stadium in the country. So I'm kind of confused by that one. Mexico, we already know about their history. Mexico City will be host to a, to a couple games. Uh, uh, Azteca Stadium in Mexico City, one of the biggest stadiums in North America. Biggest soccer-specific stadium in North America. And... Yeah, that will, or Latin America, whatever you want to call it. Mexico is in North America. You can call it Latin America, whatever. North America and Latin America. For Mexico, it's the same thing, okay? But they will host one. Guadalajara, they have a very rich footballing or soccer history with teams like, uh, oh, wow, Chivas Guadalajara, where one of the most probably, I'm not 100% sure on this, is Chivas the most historic Mexican club? Them and Club America are like one and two, but I'm not sure. Chivas has struggled recently, if I'm not mistaken. I could, again, could be very wrong about that. Club America is like the LA Galaxy of Mexico, I guess, though. Because they bring in all the big-name players. Like Giovanni Dos Santos just went down there recently from the LA Galaxy. Like, it seems like they have all the money. They're in the biggest city, like the most soccer-crazed city in the in uh, Mexico. I would assume is Mexico City. Could be wrong. But... Those are the two biggest ones. Then for the United States, I don't know how many finalists they're going to have or how many stadiums are going to be official for this, but I would assume Atlanta gets it. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is going to be an insane draw for the World Cup. I would assume Dallas with AT&T Stadium gets one. Denver, I could see them getting one. LA, we don't even need to talk about that. Of course, LA is getting one. Houston, Houston could get one. Houston, Reliant Stadium's hosted quite a few football matches or soccer matches. Throughout the years, the United States men's national team. Miami will host one. New York, New Jersey, MetLife Stadium will host one. Uh, San Francisco will host one. Um, Levi Stadium will be host to a game. That's been a couple, a few Gold Cup games and a few uh, Confederations Cups games when the United States hosted the 100th anniversary of, not the Confederations Cup, Copa America. With all the Latin American countries, South American countries, with like Argentina, Brazil, Chile, whatever you want to, what. Those countries, you knew what I was talking about when I said South America. But they played a, quite a few games at that stadium. Levi Stadium, Seattle host. We already know Central League Field will host one. And I'm confident that D.C. will host a World Cup game. It would make sense. They got one of the biggest stadiums in the, in the NFL. So it would make sense they could draw big crowds into there. They haven't played a lot of friendlies there recently. They used to play them all the time. RFK Stadium was like the unofficial official home of the United States men's national team. But obviously, with Audi Field getting built, no one really has any use for RFK Stadium. I don't even know if RFK Stadium is still standing in D.C. So, but that was a lot of fun to watch games at RFK. But I, I don't know if Baltimore, Boston, Cincy, may, I don't know, Denver, uh, not Denver, Houston, they're questionable, Nashville, I don't know, Orlando, they could. They have a big stadium down there, a few big stadiums down there. You can play it at uh, Orlando City Stadium or the Camping World Bowl. I think that's what the stadium's called. I know it's the bowl game, but I think the stadium's called the same thing. Philly, maybe. The thing is, with these, with the United States, Mexico, and Canada, what makes the United, what makes this such a desirable location, I would assume, I don't know why this hasn't happened earlier, for the World Cup, is because we're one of the few countries that won't be financially crippled by a World Cup. Because World Cups are great. It's the same thing with the Olympics. You get a lot of publicity. You get a lot of tourism and stuff like that. People stay in hotels. They're there for a month. It's great. 
But where cities and states and uh, countries get in trouble is when they don't have the stadiums necessary to play. That's what Qatar is going through right now. Brazil went through that in the 2014 World Cup. Russia was pretty easy on that because they had a lot of stadiums from the Olympics that they hosted a few years back. They already built stadiums for that. Now they need to do adjust stadiums over there. But their stadiums were decently sized. The Russian Premier League's got pretty decently sized teams. So the stadiums are pretty decently sized. But Brazil, build a freaking stadium out in the middle of the jungle. I don't even think they're using it anymore. It's just waste. It's a barren wasteland. Qatar, one, is a very small country. Two, is an insanely hot country where the World Cup in 2022 will have to be played in the winter months. So it goes November to December. And then three, Qatar is not one of the focal points of international soccer known for their sporting exploits. Like the U.S. might not be known for soccer, but we're known for American football. And our stadiums in the American, like even college stadiums, uh, the NFL obviously have these massive stadiums. I'm actually, honestly surprised Ann Arbor wasn't mentioned in one. I know it's not a giant draw, but it's close to Detroit as far as I know. They've hosted quite a few matches there. It's the biggest stadium in the United States. Chicago. I didn't see Chicago mentioned in there. I'm kind of surprised with that as well. Not being mentioned in there. But we have the stadiums and the infrastructure in the big enough cities since it's so our countries are so big, the United States, Canada, and Mexico. We can afford to not only house, but we can afford with the stadiums already there. We're not going to get blasted losing money. Like Brazil was destroyed Crippling. And then they host the Olympics in 2016, which wasn't as bad as if they didn't host the World Cup because then they already had the stadiums in place. But now they're in debt to the stadiums because they don't use the stadiums anymore. I'm in, I'm interested to see how the Qatar World Cup works out because, man, shows how corrupt FIFA is, first off. How the hell Qatar managed to get a World Cup is ridiculous to me. Before the United States, Canada, and Mexico, as a fan, as an American, I have always wanted to see the United States host a World Cup. But I haven't had the privilege to see that. I would like to be able to go to a soccer game at the World Cup in the United States because I don't want to pay for airfare and everything. South Africa, they're another country that was hurt by the World Cups. They didn't have all the stadiums in order to host a World Cup. They got around to it. They've, people are still using the Soccer City Stadium, which is a freaking, what, 90,000-seat stadium? That's one thing I'm excited for. One thing I'm happy about the U.S. actually hope, hosting a World Cup with Mexico and Canada because we have the stadiums. People are dying building the stadiums over in Qatar. they actually dying. So it, 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 the World Cup's a beautiful, fun time of the year because everybody in the world is focusing all their attention on the on one spot, and we all just want to see our national teams perform well. Unless you're the United States, Netherlands, and Italy, who missed the World Cup last year, and we had to sit through and watch Panama get smashed. Tanzania playing the World Cup. Saudi Arabia playing the World Cup. Iceland playing the World Cup. But Netherlands and Italy and the United States all missed out. Sweden bowled out, though. And Germany sucked, so that was a lot of fun to watch. Ah, man. I'm excited. But it's it's a not a great look for FIFA having the World Cup in Qatar because of the the climate situations over there with how hot the temperatures are in the summer. Obviously, I just said 
The World Cup will be taking place in the winter, but all the worker conditions over there are not ideal either. So that is, I mean, FIFA's not really looked at the best light anyways. Don't get me wrong. No one really looks at FIFA and say, you know what? That's a well-run organization right there. That's when we start our business. That's what I want our model to look like. FIFA. The set bladder was the main reason, the main perpetrator behind all of this, where the corruption like really kind of pushed itself to front page news instead of getting thrown at like a very back tat, like very bottom of the back page or like the fifth page. Like you look at the front page and the back page, like fifth page is right there. That's not a very great location, especially in the bottom corner. But then it got talked about nationally, so now we know how corrupt FIFA is, at least more in-depthly how corrupt FIFA is. But for the 2026 World Cup, the U.S. right now has the most talent it has ever had at its disposal. When you're looking at the full squad and seeing all the good young players playing for some of the biggest clubs in the world, like Pulisic playing for Chelsea, Weston McKinney playing for Juventus, Sergio Dest playing for Barcelona, Giovanni Reina playing for Borussia Dortmund. Tyler Adams playing for RB Leipzig. Not the biggest club, but one of the more uh, better finishing teams in Germany, I guess. Comparatively to the other teams that they're playing against, like Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and Schalke, RB Leipzig is very, very tiny. Especially compared to like Barcelona and Juventus. But the never have I ever seen... Now, I could be wrong about this, but never have I seen a talent group like this, a talent pool like this, where they're not only at these clubs, because you can be at a club. Like, Jonathan Spector was at Manchester United, for crying out loud. How the hell was he ever at Manchester United? I don't know how that was allowed to happen. (laughs) But not only are they there, they're playing consistently. Giovanni Reina starts week in and week out for Borussia Dortmund. With Erling Holland and Jaden Sancho, he's linked with Moose Real Madrid. Weston McKinney starts week in and week out for Juventus with Cristiano Ronaldo, coached by Andrea Pirlo. Like, these are big-time clubs these guys are playing at. Pulisic's the most expensive American of all time, transferring from Dortmund to Chelsea. And they just got Thomas Tuchel as his manager again. Now, Christian did start in his last game for Chelsea, but I would assume as Tuchel gets more familiar with the squad, Pulisic starts getting more game times because Pulisic, right now at Chelsea, when he's healthy, that's the big problem here with Christian Pulisic, is that when he's healthy, he's one of the best players at the club, by far. But the problem is he's not very, he's struggled with injuries ever since coming over to Chelsea. But when he's in form, he looks very, very good. But man, 2026 is the year they can actually compete for something, I would imagine. Like, the 2022 World Cup will be a nice showcase for the Americans to show off their talent. 2026 is where expectations actually start taking place. Where it's like, oh, this team can actually compete for things. Because not only are they starting, they are supposed to be, at least projected-wise, to be one of the best players in the world. Especially Reyna, Pulisic, and McKinney. If Reyna goes to Real Madrid, good lord, we have a player playing for Real Madrid, and then two players... And Conrad De La Fuente, who I didn't mention before, playing for Barcelona along with Serginio Dest. I would love Pulisic to get out of Chelsea and join up Manchester United, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. Hopefully it does. I would, t- I would love to have Pulisic on Manchester United. I would love him to get out of Chelsea. The only reason I semi-care about Chelsea is because Christian Pulisic is playing for them. <laughs> I could care less 
about Chelsea other than Christian Pulisic. I will turn on a Chelsea game every once in a while just to watch him play. There was a game a few weeks ago where Chelsea were playing Manchester City and it was Christian Pulisic going up against Zach Steffen, United States' number one goalie. So I was like, ooh, wow, what if, what if Pulisic scored against Manchester City? That'd be so awesome. Now, unfortunately, not only did Manchester City win, Stefan, in the brighter side of things, Stefan didn't get to keep his clean sheet, and it wasn't Pulisic that scored. So that was a little disappointing. But, man, it is an exciting time. You didn't think, after missing the World Cup in 2018, that you would have hope for the future of the United States men's national team. The future was so bleak. At that time, there was no youth system. The U.S. kept on missing the Olympics for soccer. Like, it was ridiculous. And now, they're one of the one of the youngest, most talented squads in the world for international teams. Now, I've said this before. There's a difference between talent and how good you are. Like, how good of a team you are. Like, the Dutch. They have tons of talent. They're a better team. The U.S. and the Dutch have a lot of talent at their disposal. But the Dutch are a better team. As we said this before, Sam Darnold has more talent than Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield is the better quarterback. See what I mean there? Does it kind of, does it kind of make sense? If it doesn't, I apologize for that. But man, I'll never forget. I was sitting in my roommates or not. It wasn't my roommates at the time, but my three best friends from William Penn. We were in their room, didn't have the game on because they were playing freaking Trinidad and Tobago. So I was following it on my phone. After the game, I was on the phone with my dad for about an hour. The game ended around 9.30, sometime around that central time. And I was just, I was so angry. And I did a show. I hosted the Logan Blackman show down at William Penn. And I just roasted the United States national team. And now, if they miss the World Cup, this would be a bigger failure than the last time they missed it because this squad is so much better. You see some of the players that played for the United States over these last 10 years and go like, wow. How the hell was that person allowed to play for the United States? Good Lord. There's actually a standard now, which is ridiculous to think about. Josie Altador has over 100 caps for the United States men's national team. I think over 140. I could be wrong about that. 130, 140, somewhere around there if I remember correctly. Again, that could be very, very wrong. I think Michael Bradley has about 150, so that could be very, very wrong. But Josie Altador... Went a season scoring one goal. He played 35 times for Sunderland. Now, it could have been more than 30. All I know is that he scored one goal for Sunderland. He still got called up to the United States men's national team. What other national team allows a striker to score one goal in a season where your job as a striker is to score goals still calls them up to the national team? If the U.S. had some semblance of attacking options... And striker. Because obviously had Dempsey and Donovan kicking about, but they weren't necessarily pure strikers. They didn't have that. If they have one competent, semi-competent competition, Josie Altador doesn't even scrape 100. It's been all about potential for Josie over the past 10 years. He's only 30, 31 or something. In the 2010 World Cup, I think he was 21 years old. Like, if, it, if he did, he's been living off potential for the entirety of his United States career. He's just a bang average striker. To put it bluntly, he dominated in the Dutch league with Azed Alkmaar 
and sucked with Sunderland and has been average since coming back to the MLS. It's crazy. If they had so, Robbie Finley, Chris Wondol, I don't know how Chris Wondolowski wasn't better on the international stage for how amazing he's been throughout his MLS career with San Jose Earthquakes. I don't understand that at all. How has he not provided at least some competition for Josie Altador? The most recent competition we've had for Josie is Jayassi Zardes, who, in my opinion, could start, lead the line for the United States at the 2022 World Cup when you see his relationship with Greg Berhalter and how good he has actually been in the MLS versus Josie Altador. Toronto FC, in the playoff game, I don't remember who they played. I think it was against Nashville. They pulled Josie in like the 87th minute while losing. Or tied. I can't. I didn't watch the game. My dad was texting me. You're a striker. How are you getting substituted in the latter stage of the game when your team needs a goal? How are you getting substituted? I have no personal hatred towards Josie Altador. He's just average. That's the difference between the 2018 World Cup qualifying team and the team that's going to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. There's actually expectations. There's actually a standard now, at least what it seems like, because of players like Pulisic, McKinney, Adams, Dest, Stefan, John Brooks, Giovanni Reina. These guys actually set a standard. There is guaranteed starters that even at their young age would get into all the teams that the U.S. threw out there over the past, I would say, 20 years. It's ridiculous. I'm excited for the 2022 World Cup, and that's what the paper is going to be about tomorrow. I'm not done typing it yet. I'm almost done. I just got to the attacking part. Basically, what this paper is, it's going over the squad, my depth chart, pretty much, like going through each position, who's in who's in contention for each starting spot, who's in contention for the bench spots, and so on and so forth. Now, again, I don't think that they're going to be challenging for this World Cup. I think that's going to be more focused towards 2026. As for 2022, I think this is just a chance to showcase your talent. If they get out of the group stage, I'll be happy. Let's just put it like that. They're going to be a very young team. Very fun young team, but a very young team to say the least. Like Pulisic, McKinney, all the players I've already mentioned are my age and younger. I'm 23. They have no experience being in a World Cup. Pulisic's the only one that's experienced World Cup qualifying. He was the only one on that team that failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. He's the only one that seemed to care that they didn't miss, that they missed the 2018 World Cup. He's the only one that experienced that. So I don't think there will be a lot of high expectations for the U.S. in this World Cup. Now, as it is January in 2021, we are... Two years, basically, away from the 2022 World Cup, which takes place again in November. So we're a year and nine, nine, ten months away. Ten months. No, almost nine, because we're, in, we're almost in February. But I'm excited. I'm excited for the World Cup regardless. The 2014, was awesome. 2014 World Cup was awesome. The way they came back against Ghana with John Brooks, Clint Dempsey... I was watching the first World Cup game with my papa, who could care less about soccer. But when Clint Dempsey, who's my all time, my favorite player of all time, I wore number eight in soccer because of Clint Dempsey. I know most people do it because of Kobe. I did it because of Clint Dempsey. And he scored so early, and I texted my dad because he wasn't there yet. <laughs> it's like, Dad, they already scored. 
and then watching Tim Howard stand on his head essentially against Belgium with Chris Wondolowski, as I already stated before, how he wasn't better for the United States, miss a sitter essentially. And then Julian Green, who I haven't heard of from in years, scored the goal that got them within one. Obviously, they lost two to one. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, I believe, scored a goal in the game, and Kevin De Bruyne, I think, scored the other one. No, it was Dries Mertens. Dries Mertens, I think, scored the other goal. But man, 2014 World Cup was fun. The group of death beating out Portugal. I know they lost to Portugal, but in the group stages, they ended up going on. Portugal stayed home, went back home. Oh, man, 2014 was fun. 2018, it was fun because I was cheering for Sweden. Cheered for England a little bit as well. Watching them go all the way to the World Cup semifinals was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, World Cups are always fun. You hate when your team's not in it, but they're still fun. You still find the joy in watching. And if you never watched World Cup before, I highly recommend it. The Gold Cup is coming up this summer, I believe, which is just North America and Central America teams. So you'll see some of the smaller countries like Honduras, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Panama, with the long likes of Mexico, the United States. And I'm guessing Canada actually makes it this year because, or makes it farther than what they normally do. And they could even make the World Cup, really, without talented of a squad they have with Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies being the main people in that Canadian national team. Jonathan Alfonso Davies, one of the best, if not the best, left back in the world right now. Which is crazy to think about, watching him play for Vancouver. And now he's starting week in and week out at left back for Bayern frickin' Munich. Was just named to the FIFA Pro 11. Ridiculous. I don't. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I was surprised. Oh, it greatly surprised me. But yes, that paper will be coming out tomorrow, so look forward to that. If you haven't read it yet and you're listening to this show, go ahead and read it. I would greatly appreciate it. It's a little different than what we've been doing because we've been just talking at nauseum about trades, essentially. Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, who else could get traded? And we got some more news about the whole Deshaun Watson situation. But first, in Houston, they have officially, officially hired a head coach, David Culley. The last team that has hired a head coach is the Houston Texans. The first team that fired their head coach is the Houston Texans. They had just hired the fourth, I believe, oldest head coach in the NFL in his first ever head coaching gig. His first coaching gig was in 1978. My dad and mom were seven. (laughs) That's how long this dude's been in coaching. He's 65 years old. And he's just now becoming the... Being a head coach from pass game coordinator in Baltimore. Now, he was the assistant head coach. So he's had some responsibility in Baltimore. Coaching right behind John Harbaugh. He was the quarterback coach of the Bills. He was assistant head coach of Kansas City. A senior offensive assistant in Philadelphia, the wide receivers coach in Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Texas A&M. He was offensive coordinator at UTEP in 89 and 90. My dad just graduated high school. My mom was about to graduate high school. So that's sweet. He's had one offensive coordinator job throughout his entire career as a coach. And that was 30 years ago in 1990 for UTEP. Now he's the head coach of the Houston Texans. If this doesn't tell you how little people valued this job, I don't know what will. This dude hired was interviewed once out of all 32 teams by one team, that's the Houston Texans. 
I'm not saying he got interviewed once by the Texans. He might. I think he got interviewed twice. At least you would hope. You didn't just interview him once. and go, yep, we're, we're going to hire you on the spot. And you could have some situations like that. But if you're coming from a pass game coordinator, I would hope that you come back for a second interview. But good Lord, who honestly wants the Texans job right now? Prior to the whole fiasco, the head coaching situation, the thing going on in Houston, I said Eric Bieniemy made the most sense. We did that on a show. Eric Bieniemy made a thousand times most sense for the Houston Texans. I literally said, imagine what he could do with Sean Watson down in Houston. What did Deshaun Watson want as a coach? Eric Bieniemy. Who did they not interview until after Deshaun Watson was pissed? Eric Bieniemy. Then you had the whole Brian Dable link because Brian Dable knew Nick Casero from the New England Patriots. So I linked them together. Brian Dable's not a head coach either. The two of the two of the top three, according to most reports, head coaching candidates this offseason, the other one being Arthur Smith, from what I heard, did not get a job. Brian Dable stayed in Buffalo. Eric Bieniemy stayed in Kansas City. Now, I think that Eric Bieniemy should get a head coaching job. Do I think Eric Bieniemy could be trying to wait out Andy Reid? I think that's what Josh McDaniels is doing over in New England with Bill Belichick. But the hard part is you never want to be the guy that follows the legend. You want to be the second guy that comes after the legend retires. I could see Bieniemy doing that. There's not a lot of great head coaching jobs that weren't filled up right away. The Jaguars hired their head coach essentially once the offseason started. Even though they didn't officially hire him, they were interviewing him with linked to Urban Meyer so much. They're like, okay, yeah, he's getting he's getting the Jacksonville job. The Chargers apparently, according to Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, I think I can't I listened to it on the Pat McAfee show a few like a week ago or two weeks ago. It was one of those two. I can't remember. They look the same and they're I don't know. They do the same job. Said that the Chargers only had eyes on Brandon Staley. I mean, it makes sense. He was the defense coordinator for the number one total defense in the NFL last year. Makes complete sense that the Chargers would go after him. The Jets got the 49ers D coordinator. Makes a thousand times, makes a hundred percent, thousand percent stint, chan, ugh, sense to hire him. He was linked with a bunch of jobs last year. The Jets' job, the Chargers' job, you can even say the Jaguars' job. The Falcons job. Those are the best head coaches that got hired this offseason. You got Urban Meyer, Jacksonville, Robert Sala and the Jets, Brandon Staley with the Chargers, and then Arthur Smith with the Falcons. Those are really good head coaching hires. We'll see how Urban Meyer does with his health situation down in Jacksonville. But as a coach, great head coach, obviously. It doesn't need to be doesn't need to be said, but I think we all know that, but I, I'm just going to say it anyways. He's a good head coach. Really good head coach. See how he does in the NFL. Some college coaches struggled in the NFL. Like Nick Saban lasted a season with Miami Dolphins. But other coaches like Jimmy Johnson won Super Bowls coming straight from college. Pete Carroll sucked his first stint in the NFL. Went to college, came back, and won a Super Bowl with the Seahawks. Sometimes don't work right away in the NFL, but I think Urban Meyer is the type of guy where it could work. From what I could tell from what he did at Ohio State in Florida and Utah before that. Turned all those programs into national champions. Won an Addy everywhere he went other than Utah because it's going to be hard. But he got Alex Smith drafted number one overall. That says something, right? How many Utah players get drafted in the first round, let alone number one overall? It's just, yeah. 
especially quarterbacks. Most people don't know who the quarterback from Utah is. <laughs> sometimes. They sometimes have good quarterbacks, like the dude that went to the Sugar Bowl with uh, when they played Bama. What was his last name? Johnson? He was number three. I don't remember what his first name was. He was on the cover of one of the NCAA football games, too. Then Huntley for uh, the Baltimore Ravens. He was Utah's quarterback last year, too. So, yeah, Utah quarterbacks sprinkled in everywhere. But once every once in a while, not everywhere, but yeah. The Lions job, Dan Campbell, seems like a one-and-done type situation there. I love the press conference, but, man, that and the David Coley thing, they kind of remind me of, like, the Jim Tom Sula era in front in San Francisco, especially the Lions job. That's what that reminds me of the most. Tom Sula was the D-Lions coach, was the interim head coach, and they got hired by the 49ers, and then was fired, like, that offseason, or in-season, in even. That's what the Dan Campbell thing kind of reminds me of. And I think the Lions are going in that same mold of the Mike Vrabel thing in Tennessee. It could work. I don't know. Based on the Lions' track record, I don't know if it'll work. But, man, that press conference gets you, I don't know, it left it feeling two things. It's like, man, that was kind of cool, and also that was kind of weird. Didn't know I'd be hearing that when I turned on this press conference. I hope it works out for Dan Campbell's sake, but just my gut says it's not going to work. <laughs> Good luck to whoever their quarterback is next year. Anthony Lynn is the OC. I mean, you saw his offensive genius playing with the Chargers, so we'll see how that works out in Detroit. Good luck to whoever their quarterback is. Whoever sits behind Tyrod for five weeks... Good luck to you because you're the franchise. But Tyrod, he'll probably, I would bet, a fair bit of money, Tyrod Taylor finds his way to Detroit because Anthony Lynn's there. But the Texans' job, they interviewed Josh McCown for this head coaching job. That's how desperate they were for head coaches. Like, Biennemi didn't want this job. Biennemi's saying no to Josh. I think he, honestly, I think Biennemi could want that Kansas City Chiefs job. I don't know how many years Andy Reid has left. Obviously, he's a fan favorite. Everybody in the NFL loves the guy. Every fan in the NFL loves him, regardless of you like the Chiefs or not. You like Andy Reid. Biennemi could just be waiting for Reid to retire. I, he could have like a year or two left. Biennemi just want to wait it out. Josh McDaniels, I think he's doing the same thing in New England. Didn't work well from last time he left New England. Actually, it's last two times with Denver and then the weird, what, six-day stint in Indianapolis. Look at he's already following in the footsteps of Bill Belichick. Retired, quitting the job like 45 minutes into the job. Hired, nah, I quit. For those of you who don't get that joke, Bill Belichick quit the Jets job in like 45 minutes after taking the head coaching job. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. And then was traded, I believe, to the New England Patriots. Like John Gruden was traded from the Oakland Raiders at the time to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Bucs obviously won a Super Bowl playing the team that John Gruden designed their entire offense for with an elite defense spearheaded by Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, John Lynch, and Rondé Barber. Yeah, that was <laughs> it was just destined to fail for the Oakland Raiders. I'm sorry, Raiders fans. One of my good friends from growing up is a Raiders fan. His dad's a Raiders fan. I have a few friends from high school that are Raiders fans. Yeah, not a great one to watch. But at least you saw your team in a Super Bowl. So kudos to that. But David Coley, man... I did not think that this would be the head coach they would have hired this offseason. But again, no one wanted this job. No one wanted to handle the Deshaun Watson situation. No one wanted to handle 
the lack of draft picks. Because you got, you're stuck in two minds here if you're the Texans. One, you pissed off Deshaun Watson at the end of no return. The point of no return, essentially. But you'd look like complete idiots if you traded away a top-five quarterback coming off a career year. Wouldn't you? You'd feel pretty stupid if you traded that away. But you have no future. Your first pick this draft is the third round. You won four games this year. You would have the third overall pick right now. Instead, you have to wait till the third round to get your first pick in. Unless you trade Deshaun Watson. Because you're like, do we keep our? Do we go for the future? Or do we keep our franchise quarterback? Because franchise quarterbacks, I'm sorry, don't grow on trees. And the recent track record of quarterbacks taking number two, if, he's, if the links with the Jets are true, have not been great recently. I think Carson Wentz will turn it around since they got Nick, uh, Nick Sirianni there. Frank Reich disciple. Carson Wentz worked well with Frank Reich. Makes a lot of sense to get that higher. Hopefully he'll turn it around, but Trubisky was drafted second overall. Obviously Carson Wentz was drafted second overall. I think the only good second overall quarterback I could think of is Donovan McNabb. But I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head. Marcus Mariota didn't really work out as he's a backup in Las Vegas, but I still think Mariota is a decent quarterback. But not a long-term starter. He's like new-age Tyrod Taylor, essentially. Everybody respects him. He's a good dude. Athletic. Crazy athletic. Uh, Mariota is bigger than Tyrod Taylor. But you're not going to staple your franchise to him. Obviously, you saw that with Tennessee. Obviously, going, okay, hopefully we get an ex-coach that can reveal his potential. He's five years in. He is what he is. You're not going to unearth some magical potential with a new head coach. This is not going to happen. But I saw this stat on Twitter today. Is that 502? Because I could just took a screenshot of it. It was from ESPN Stats and Info. Deshaun Watson averaged 301.4 yards per game and completed 70.2% of his passes in 2020. Okay, that's, that's pretty good, right? He became the second QB in NFL history to average 300 yards passing a game while completing at least 70% of their passes in a single season. The other one being Drew Brees. That season, the Saints finished 13-3. and We've already stated the Texans finished 4-12. and He had an all-time season. Not just a career year, he had an all-timer season. After you traded away his star player and didn't give him any semblance of a defense and stuck him with Bill O'Brien and no draft picks and eventually Romeo Cornell. I do not pity the Texans at all, really. They deserved it. They've had a history ever since they came into the league. I know they were founded in 99, but they started playing in 02. Ever since they've started playing, they have been a joke in regards to pissing off star players. We've already mentioned Andre Johnson. Never got him a quarterback. Stuck with David Carr for like four years. Then you had DeAndre John, DeAndre, geez, DeAndre Hopkins. All the quarterbacks he had. I know Andre Johnson had uh, Matt Schaub for a little bit, but... DeAndre Hawkins struggled with struggle with quarterbacks. And now you got Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt, the greatest player in Houston, Texas history. Pissed off. J.J. Watt will probably get cut as a cap-saving thing because the NFL cap is going to lower a lot due to COVID. So, pff, you're losing two all-timers for Texans. Your greatest quarterback and your greatest player are going to be gone, I would assume, this offseason. Now, technically speaking... The Texans don't need to honor Deshaun Watson's trade request because he officially offered it today if you forgot that I said that earlier. 
They don't need to do it. It would be the smart thing to do because I don't think Deshaun Watson will play if you don't trade him. I would just trade him. I In a normal circumstance, I would never trade a quarterback to Deshaun Watson's caliber. Never in a million years. Never would trade him. But you pissed him off so much that you are stuck in a situation where if you don't trade him, you're going to look like even more bad guys than you already do. And the fact that Jack Easterby still has the job, going from Champlin to decision maker like that, is really sad for Texans fans and the players. It's ridiculous. How do you ask a dude, hey, we want your opinion on something? It's not the fact that, why would you ask your starting, why would you ask a quarterback of organizational decisions? It's the fact that they just, they asked him what he wanted. It's not that they cared, like, why do you care about his opinion on this? They asked him. So you would think once you asked him on who he wanted, you would try to your best to honor that and not just go, well, Jack Easterby has a great relation. It was the chaplain of the Patriots. Nick Casero's coming over from the Patriots. We're going to hire him to a six-year deal. No links there at all. Okay, fine. At least give me my head coach. Because I think a quarterback should have a lot of say on who your head coach is. A lot. Nope, we're not going to interview the enemy. Okay, well, you shit out of luck. I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring you for a while. Oh, wait, Dijon, we'll interview him now. Why didn't you do that in the first place? Now, the enemy could have said no. They could have offered. He said no. All we know is that they didn't interview him the first time. Craziness. So yeah, if I'm Deshaun, I'm I'm playing for the Texans anymore. When you sign contract extensions, you're usually promised certain things. Like, we're going to keep competing. We're going to get you players and coaches. They'll make you happy. They'll compliment your style of play the most. And then sign it and do everything the exact opposite of what you agreed on in the contract in the first place. That's where I'm totally on Deshaun Watson's side. You can be like, oh, he signed a contract, he has to stay. It's the assurances you get when you sign a contract and they don't do that, and then you have to go on to go and have an amazing season, an all-timer season, and then people are surprised that you're pissed off and want to trade. Now, the part that I'm confused by is the fact you want to go to the Jets. I know you have a ton of cap space. I know you got a head coach you like. you got a young OC in Mike LaFleur. So maybe they can get a guy like Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay or someone like that to be a wide receiver, but you, I would rather go to the Dolphins if I was Deshaun Watson. In my opinion, I would go to Miami. That is a thousand times, I would go there a thousand times over the New York Jets. No offense to the Jets, but I think with the Dolphins' seemingly front office, seemingly commitment to Tua because they drafted him, they did the whole thing for Tua thing last year, they're probably going to stick with Tua after looking at it a little deeper. How much Chris Greer keeps saying Tua's our guy, Tua's our guy, Tua's our guy. Now, it could be one of those situations where he's trying to convince himself that Tua's the guy without actually really believing it, but he's trying to convince himself, so he keeps saying it over and over and over again. But he'll probably stay. Tua will probably be the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins next year. right? They'll draft Devontae Smith, and then everything will be happy down in Miami. They'll win, what? Probably win 10 games again, 11 games again. I don't know. Time will tell. But it looks like the Jets are the most logical, likely place for him to go. He has a no-trade clause. So essentially, 
if the Texans were to trade him, he can say wherever he wants to get traded because the Texans cannot trade him to wherever they want. Deshaun Watson will choose where he goes. The Texans could decide to honor that request if not. If I'm Deshaun and I see David Coley walk in as the head coach, fourth oldest coach in the NFL, never any head coach experience, never any real coordinating experience before, no picks to the third round, no one's going to help you this year because your cat space is atrocious, I'm gone. I'm sorry, I'm not dealing with that. And that way you can help the organization as well. So for the long term, I trade him. If I'm, the, if I'm thinking from the Texans' perspective. She ain't going to win with nobody to help out Deshaun. Now, ESPN, they posted, it was Bill Barnwell. I saw this this morning when I got to work today. And it was all these trades that could happen for Deshaun. And it, other than, like, who? The Bills, the Chiefs, the Ravens, Seahawks, I don't know, the Packers, unless they trade Aaron Rodgers, I don't know. There's only a few teams in the NFL that would not would would feel they are not upgrading getting Deshaun Watson. Like they don't need to trade for Deshaun Watson because they got a guy in there. You could say Arizona with Kyler Murray as well. There's teams that are not going to trade for Deshaun, but most of the league should probably send in a trade request for Deshaun Watson. So this was on ESPN Plus. I ain't buying that shit. So you know what? I just got the four pictures that they posted on Twitter. So the first thing was. Deshaun Watson and a six-round pick going to the Jets for the second, 23rd pick, and a 2022 first. So that's three first-round picks for you math whizzes out there. If he goes to the Patriots, it'd be Deshaun Kale Waring and a sixth-round pick in 2022 going to New England with the 15th overall pick, 2021 third-round compensatory pick. It's a weird word. 2022 first-round, 2023 second-round. J.C. Jackson, a legit number one corner, and Nikhil Harry. Okay. Next one, Carolina. So Deshaun Watson gets sent to Carolina for a third-round pick in 2022 and a fourth-round pick in 2023. So that's going to Carolina. The Texans get eighth pick, 39th pick, 2022 first-round pick, 2023 first-round pick, and Teddy Bridgewater. And then the last one that popped up was the Denver Broncos. Deshaun and a fourth-round pick go to Denver for the ninth pick, 40th pick, 2022 first-rounder, 2023 second rounder, Tim Patrick and Drew Locke. The best one for the Texans is the Carolina Panthers one. You're getting Teddy Bridgewater in there. You get three first round picks and a second rounder. I say it's a fair deal for the Houston Texans, but would Deshaun want to go to Carolina? Now, it'd be very beneficial. They got two good wide receivers and DJ Moore and uh, Robbie Anderson. Christian McCaffrey should be back and healthy. And then Deshaun Watson. That'd make the Carolina Panthers a very scary team. And you know what's even better about that? It keeps his ass out of the AFC East. So you know what? I'm all for him going to Carolina. But if he wants to go to the Jets, three first-round picks, it's very uh, tempting for the Jets. Especially if he wants to go there. If he wants to go to the Jets, you really don't have a say in the matter. I mean, you could say, no, you're not going traded, but he's like, the only place I'm going is the Jets. And your cans are kind of tied here. You're going to have to trade him to the Jets. You don't get to decide where he goes. If he wants to go to the Jets and you decide to trade him, he's going to the Jets. <laughs> That's simple as that. Now, the Texans don't have any leverage in the situation because of how much they pissed off Deshaun, but they can say no, okay? They can just straight up say no, but I doubt I doubt they will. And I got a report today that, oh, they don't want to trade Deshaun. 
No shit, they don't want to trade Deshaun. Thank you for breaking that news to us. Thanks, Bleacher Report. Always with the breaking news. Why? Obviously, they don't want to trade Deshaun Watson. The top five quarterback in the NFL come off a career year. Why would they ever want to trade Deshaun? They don't want to do it. But they've tied their own hands. They've kind of castrated themselves in a sense. I don't know. It's just not a great situation for the Houston Texans. And I saw this, speaking of quarterbacks. It was the LA Rams quarterback situation. This is an interesting situation. I saw this when I was on lunch Wednesday afternoon. So I I saw this on Twitter, and then I saw it again on an update. The Rams, since they really can't trade Goff, he's got a lot of money guaranteed to him for the next two years. So they can't really do anything trading-wise. He's got $43 million guaranteed the next two seasons. That's huge. He ain't going to get traded. I don't care how much Les Snead and Sean McVay don't like him or don't get along with him anymore, but you ain't trading him. He's, he's going to be a Rams quarterback next year. The thing that's crazy is they're either going to start him or John Wolford at quarterback next year. They're having an open competition between Jared Goff, a former number one overall pick, the first pick of the new L.A. Rams era, or John Wolford, who went undrafted, made the pra- missed the practice squad on the Jets, started for the Arizona Hot Shots, and then now got put on the Rams. That is insane to me. He's a lot more mobile than Goff. But he's a lot smaller than Goff, too. Goff stands about, what, 6'4", 220, 230, somewhere around there. Wolford's my size, 6'1", 200. I'm a little heavier than him, but about the same size. He is a lot faster than him, though. Played pretty decent in the AAF when he was in there, though. Played decent in his time with the Rams this year. But I don't think he's a better quarterback than Jared Goff. I'm sorry. I know Jared Goff's not the most liked quarterback by the national media, and obviously not the most liked quarterback for the LA Rams, but he's a better option than John Wolford, I believe. If you want to post the playoff loss to the Packers on Jared Goff's shoulder, I mean, you try playing with a broken thumb two weeks after breaking it. It's not going to be easy, especially when it's on your throwing hand. Your job is to throw the football. Statistically, didn't have a terrible game, completed a high percentage passes, but it was a lot of checkdowns because he couldn't throw the ball. The only reason he didn't start that first playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks is because he broke his freaking thumb and it was a week off surgery. On his throwing hand. I know everyone wanted to make a big deal about, oh, Sean McVay picked John Wolford over Jared Goff. There's something to read into there. No, there's not. He broke his thumb two weeks ago. He can't really grip a ball, let alone throw it. We're not going to put him in a situation where he's going to either A, get hurt, or put us in a situation where, crap, he can't throw. And then, obviously, Wolford got hurt, so it kind of forced... Sean McVay's hand, so Jerry Goff had to play. Do I think he would have played him if Wolford didn't get hurt? Probably not. i say they'd probably keep Wolford in. And then probably play Goff again against the Green Bay Packers if the Rams won that game. Obviously, the defense and Cam Akers had themselves a hell of a game against the Seattle Seahawks, but would they have won if Wolford was the starter? Time will tell. We'll see how if that whole John Wolford situation in Los Angeles, the Jared Goff situation, work itself out. I don't know if they will. 
But it'll be interesting to see how it works itself. There's going to be a lot of quarterback issues this offseason. Obviously, the Rams seem unhappy with their quarterback. The quarterback of the Packers seems unhappy with the Packers. So, like, similar things, but I'm sending to the spectrum, if you say. Aaron Rodgers obviously very pissed off at the Green Bay Packers. It's been well documented for the past few seasons. He wants a new contract. They drafted Jordan Love, traded up to get him. I don't know. I'd like to see him on the Bears. I think that'd be funny. I did hear the Bears were linked with trading for Deshaun Watson, and they are going to, quote, aggressively go after quarterbacks this offseason. So what that's code for is that they're going to re-sign Mitchell Trubisky. That's what it's code for. I don't know what aggressive going after quarterbacks thing is for the Chicago Bears because they got aggressive in the draft and drafted Trubisky. They went aggressive in the free agent market, signed Mike Glennon, and were aggressive last offseason trying to find a quarterback and got Nick Foles coming off an injury and losing his starting job to Gardner Minshew. I don't know what the Bears' definition of going after or being aggressive is. Because on the offensive side of the ball, they don't really do that. Defensively, yeah, they do. They go aggressive quite a bit. Offensively, not really. I have no issue with the Bears. I, as I've stated this before, I love their fans. I love how pessimistic their fans are. It's one of my favorite fan-team relationships I've ever seen. And the Bears, similarly to the Bills, have had a lot of quarterback issues throughout their history. The Bills can at least narrow down who their greatest quarterback is. We know it's Jim Kelly. The Bears, you have the argument between Jay Cutler and Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon, though going to the Super Bowl and was super tough, wasn't the greatest quarterback. Cutler statistically is the greatest quarterback in Bears history. Now you got Sid Luckman in there as well, so you could argue him in there. But you never really, it's usually between, it's usually Jim McMahon for most Bears fans because of the fact of the 85 Bears. They've had a lot of quarterback issues. Cade McNown, Rex Grossman, who has, again, same number of AC championships as Aaron Rodgers. Andrew Brees, Jay Cutler situation, the Mike Glennon situation, Trubisky, frickin' Nick Foles, who's the quarter to Kyle Orton situation, why he got traded to Denver. Jay Cutler more talented, but would they have been better with Orton? I don't know. They went to an AFC Championship game. Matt Forte went on Instagram rant and challenged people in the comments talking about how Cutler quit on the Bears. It was very weird. I went through that comment section. It was a BJ Raji scoring a touchdown on the NFL's Instagram account. You can go look at it if you want. It's a very weird exchange between Matt Forte and the fans. Because Matt Forte uh, uh, tagged Devin Hester. And Devin Hester didn't respond one time. So, that's kind of awkward. I don't know. It's awkward to me. I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, the Bears, they've struggled for quarterbacks. And it's kind of, it, I, it's relatable. It's very relatable. Bills fans and Bears fans as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Man, I don't know what they're aggressive. I don't know what aggressive means anymore for the Chicago Bears. Man. And it would be funny, though, to see Deshaun Watson throw on the orange and blue of the Chicago Bears after they passed on him for Mitchell Trubisky. For some reason, I don't see Deshaun Watson wanting to do that. Because, again, he has a no-trade clause, which means basically if he wants to get traded somewhere, he gets to choose. Would he willingly go to the team that already passed on him? Because, or would he go to someone like the Lions and just go play the team that passed on you? I doubt he'd go to the Lions. I wouldn't want to go to the Lions. They're letting Matthew Stafford go, finally. And apparently, speaking of Stafford, a third of the NFL has been linked or has called about Matthew Stafford. The two obvious ones for me are the Lions, or the Colts and the San Francisco 49ers. 
Washington football team at the GM link could be very interesting. But I think the two most logical places are San Francisco or Indianapolis. Fit-wise, San Francisco with the scheme that they're going to do. Team-wise and offensive-wise, how many how better the players are, like O-line-wise, skill position-wise, I'd probably go to Indy. Time will tell on that. If he goes to San Francisco, Jimmy G probably goes to either the Patriots or the Texans. Obviously, Nick Casero, Jack Easterby down there. Got the links with him. But would you trade picks that you just got for Deshaun to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't know if that would be the smartest decision in the world. I would see the Patriots as the logical spot for Jimmy Garoppolo to go if he were traded. Now that's if Matthew Stafford gets traded to San Francisco. If not, Jimmy G will just stay there. Matthew Stafford goes to Indianapolis, and it works out for all parties. And Deshaun Watson probably goes to the Jets, though he's being linked with pretty much half the NFL right now. Carolina would make a lot of sense. He'd be fun to watch Carolina. Matt Rule, Joe Brady, fun offense, Christian McCaffrey, good weapons on the outside. They just drafted all defense last year. It'd be fun. I'd like to see him in Carolina. Again, that keeps him out of the AFC East. So I would be glad if that happened. You're really cool. I'd, like, I'd, I'd see Deshaun on Carolina. And them getting Teddy in return helps Houston out a lot as well. So out of those proposed trades by, what was the dude's name? Bill Barnwell. That one helps the Texans out the most because of the picks and the fact that you get Teddy Bridgewater as a quote-unquote bridge quarterback. Man. I saw Jimmy uh, something yesterday about Jimmy G getting linked with the Colts, or a couple days ago about him getting linked with the Colts. They almost traded for him when they traded for DeForest Buckner. Man, that would have been crazy. But time will tell. It's an interesting offseason. Because, again, a lot of things can go down. I think like the thing that everybody would like to see and that would what most teams would like is Matthew Stafford going to San Fran and Jimmy G going back to New England. Will that happen? I don't know. One of those two things. If, if if Stafford goes to San Fran, Jimmy is going back to New England. If not, Jimmy stays. Stafford goes to Indy. Works out well. 49, the Colts can prepare for Matthew Stafford's cap hit and his contract more than the 49ers can. And they have positions of need elsewhere. The Colts don't really have a lot of big needs that they're going to need to spend a lot of money in free agency on. Now, they could get Kenny Galladay. That would be a really cool get for the Colts get... Matthew Stafford, one of Matthew Stafford's favorite targets while playing for the one of the few things he liked about playing in Detroit. And speaking of wide receivers, DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson, this got brought up the 26th, or two days ago, Wednesday. <laughs> it was DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson's top five wide receivers. These lists suck. I'll just say it like that. <laughs> Here's DK Metcalf. Julio DK already ranking himself second. DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, OBJ, Stephon Diggs, or A.J. Brown. Don't get me wrong, I like A.J. Brown and I like D.K. Metcalf. I like OBJ too. But D.K. not ready to be put in the top five yet. A.J. Brown not in the top five. Odell Beckham hasn't been in the top ten since he left the New York Giants. So I don't know why he's at number five or even sniffing the top five. My top five, if we're going off last year, then Julio would have to move out of the way and Calvin Ridley would step in. If we're going off last year, Julio's kind of going off reputation right now. 
first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest receivers of all time, the greatest receiver of his era. But he's not even the most productive receiver on his team anymore. That could be because teams are stacking against him, they're preparing more against him, and he's just still Julio. But Diggs has to be in a top five guaranteed. He led the league in receptions and yards this year. DeAndre Hopkins is in there. Devontae Adams guaranteed in there. Then Calvin Ridley, for these past few seasons, at least last year, should be ahead of Julio right now. If we're going off reputation, Julio's easily number one. Michael Thomas, I get the jokes about Slant Boy and how he cries all the time. He has to be in a top five. It's, it's crazy. I know that he gets kind of made fun of, but he has to be in a top five. And then Justin Jefferson, no, I'm sorry, you're not in the top five yet. You're in the top ten. Top five, nah. Not really, Not no, not right now. You had one good year. I know a lot of people like you as the rookie of the year. You're not going to win it. I'm sorry, I'll tell you that right now. Because you set records for receiving yards in the season, yes, for rookies. Herbert broke every single rookie passing record. So, like, people are talking about how many records Justin Jefferson broke. Herbert broke more records passing the ball. I know there's a lot more things you can do as a quarterback than a wide receiver for yards and stats and stuff like that. But Jefferson's not a top-five receiver. And this goes Julio, Devontae, Justin Jefferson, DK, and DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know if this is in order, how they ranked it, because in no world at this point in time is Justin Jefferson the third-best receiver in the NFL, and no way in hell is DeAndre Hopkins ranked lower than him and DK. I love DK. I love Justin Jefferson. But, come on. You could either argue with me right now about DeAndre being the best wide receiver in the NFL or Devontae Adams being the best wide receiver in the NFL at this point in time. At this, Based off this year, I'd probably say Devontae. Him and Diggs are one and two if you're going off this year. But if we're talking about the best wide receiver, probably is DeAndre Hopkins still. And then Devontae. Then... Who was on the other list? Diggs. Then Julio. Then Calvin. And then you could start talking about the DKs, the uh, Justin Jeffersons, stuff like that. You don't throw them in the top five. I know their list. They're gonna. They're all about back yourself type stuff. Gotta believe in yourself. No one believes. If you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. But. Nah, that was a dumb list. I, I saw that, and I'm going through my photos right now, looking at old stuff that I've saved, trying to talk about on the show. That's dumb. I'm sorry, I love backing yourself, but there's got to be a point in time where you go, okay, stop. It's like Scotty Miller saying he could beat freaking Tyree Kill in a race. Oh, no, why? I forgot about him. Tyree Kill's in the top five. I mean, that's not even a debate. I don't care who's out there. I completely forgot about Tyree Kill. He's in the top five. Easily. Undoubt and unquestionable in the top five. I have four locks in my top five. If we're basing it off last year, if we're going off reputation. I got five locks. But Tyree Hill is in the top five. I don't care what anybody says. You can throw Diggs at six if you want to throw Michael Thomas in there in the top five. Because if we're going off talent, then the top five in no order go Julio, Michael Thomas, Devontae, Tyreek Hill, and friggin' DeAndre Hopkins. And then Diggs, I'd be fine at six, because those are five amazing wide receivers. If we're going off this year, and you might even want to argue about Diggs over Michael Thomas, because I know a lot of people make fun of Michael Thomas, as we said already. But Diggs, 
DeAndre, Devontae, Tyreek Hill, Julio, Calvin Ridley, Michael Thomas. Like, that's the top five. That's the top five in the NFL at this current time. I love Justin Jefferson. I love DK Metcalf. Love A.J. Brown. Really like OBJ. OBJ not in the top 10. Maybe not even the top 15 anymore. DK's in the top 10. Justin Jefferson's barely in the top 10. Same with A.J. Brown. You might say Justin Jefferson's 10th. Maybe he's ninth or something because he's only played one year. Now, I can't really think of other great wide receivers off the top of my head because I just mentioned those guys. So that's what's kind of hurting me in that sense of, well, you're not naming anybody. Well, I'm sorry, okay? That's what I think right now. I think the top five hover somewhere around DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, and then either Julio or Michael Thomas at this point in time. Julio has to be in the top. What am I saying? Julio's in the top five. What am I talking about? So that's my top five wide receivers. I love, a, again, I love Just Jefferson, love DK, but your lists suck. I'm sorry. You're not better than DeAndre Hopkins. Neither one of you are better than DeAndre yet. Stop that. You both ranked yourself higher than DeAndre Hopkins. You ain't better than DeAndre Hopkins yet. Sorry. He's a little cringy at times, but you're not better than him. So with that being said, that's all I've got for you today. I don't think I have anything else to talk about. So I will end it here. Hope you have a fun Friday. Hope you have a very fun weekend, very nice weekend. Go ahead and read the paper about the U.S. Men's National Team in the 2022 World Cup if you haven't already. I would greatly appreciate it. Go back and read the paper from yesterday or today because it's still Thursday for me. It's 11:22 right now. And go and read the Deshaun Watson paper. Go read the Matthew Stafford trade thing as well. I hope you will enjoy I know you'll enjoy it. I don't hope. I know you'll enjoy those. So, yeah, I will see you all later. Peace.